Hello, everyone, and welcome to Consumer Watchdog's Rage for Justice Report, uh, where we get together each week to discuss the important topics of the day and the current issues we are exposing, confronting, and changing. I'm your host, Carmen Balber, Executive Director of Consumer Watchdog, and with me today is our Litigation Director and Healthcare Legal Expert, Jerry Flanagan. Hey, Jerry. Hey, how you doing? Pretty good. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Right. Crazy, crazy week. Um, yeah, we could talk about a lot of stuff this week um, uh, with the uh, insurrection at the Capitol and the Georgia Senate results, a lot going on. Um, but we wanted to focus on uh, a different specific press- pressing issue, uh, which is consumers' health care rights um, um, amid the huge surge of coronavirus infections and deaths uh, in California, particularly here in L.A. County, where uh, Jerry and I both are. Um, You know, we're in a situation where it's not uh, the extremes that New York was seeing uh, back in April and May uh, of last year, but the possibility that hospitals are going to begin running out of resources and rationing care is again in the news, um, especially in uh, the San Joaquin Valley and L.A. County, where hospital ICU uh, levels are around zero or ICU availability. And, you know, one in five coronavirus tests is coming back uh, positive. So um, health systems may soon be in a position where they're deciding who gets treatment and who doesn't. And if we reach that point, we wanted to share with everyone what you should know to protect your health care rights, um, particularly uh, for people with disabilities, uh, with chronic health conditions, and also people of color who are doubly vulnerable during this crisis because they're both uh, more vulnerable to, to getting the disease in the first place and, and having it be more harmful, but also more likely to experience in healthcare discrimination that might that might deny them necessary care. So, um, Jerry, maybe maybe the uh, right way to start place to start out is just the fact that um, the state has defined um, guidelines for what they consider to be crisis care, if uh, what to do when a hospital's resources fall below the resources they need to care for everyone equally, um, and uh, and what those guidelines say, which is that. Um, that resources can be allocated to patients who are more likely to survive. Right. I mean, the key issue here is that there are clear protocols that are objective medical standards and that we're not making decisions that are explicitly based on a protected class. And that, of course, that's legal lawyer speak. Uh, But what we're talking about, you can't deny people uh, medical care because of their race, color, national origin, disability, age, sex. Those categories that we're talk, used to talking about in civil rights. And the, the key message here is that civil rights don't go on pause during the pandemic. Uh, you still have to be sh- ensure when you're making these really difficult decisions um, to triage care, they're, you know, they're, it's, it's just tragic, uh, that we're not doing it explicitly based on disability. So what does that mean? So these guidelines, the good thing is that, uh, the, you know, uh, that the, the state and the hospitals started putting these guidelines together back in March. Now, it's too bad they weren't in place prior to the pandemic coming on, but they were in place for here in California before things have gotten really bad. Because, you know, in March, it it was getting closer, but it it seems worse now. 
And the idea is that when you are the number one, number, number one uh, uh, requirement is that when a hospital has a written guideline for dealing with triaging care, so that means if there have too many people to treat, how do we decide who to treat first? The number one issue is it has to be based on an individualized assessment of the individual's ability to uh, respond to the COVID treatment so that, that they can either be um, uh, they can be helped by and survive the COVID treatment. What you can't do is say, well, this person has a disability, for example, you know, uh, physical disability or mental impairment. And on that basis, I've decided that's going to be on that basis, I'm deciding they have to wait. That would be a decision about providing care on the basis of the disability. And we can't do that just like we can't say, we're denying you care because you're a woman or because you're a man or because of your race. And so those objective criteria based on medical, objective medical criteria have to look at how is this individual and this individual and this individual, how are they gonna respond to the treatment? Can they be benefited by the COVID treatment and are they gonna survive the COVID treatment? If they're not gonna survive the COVID treatment, then that's where the difficult uh, you know, to triaging can come in or if they're not going to be benefited by it because maybe how bad the disease has progressed, that's where the, the, you can take that into account when triaging. If, if, if you have a group of people and you've done the test and say, yes, each of these individuals can um, be benefited by uh, the um, treatment for COVID and they're going to survive the, um, uh, the treatment regardless of underlying disability, uh, but you still have more people than you can treat. Then the question is, then what do you do, right? Because then you're in a really tough position. And then the question, then then I think most of the legal scholars and medical ethicists, and I think these guidelines reflect, uh, you're kind of, it's either a first come first serve or some kind of a lottery system where it's it's a fair process. So you know, it's it, these are pretty scary times when we're talking about this sort of thing. But I think what's important for people to keep in mind is that when we hear disability, we're often thinking like, oh. Those are people in a wheelchair or somebody else, not me or not my family member. But it's important to remember that disability is a, has a legal definition. And that legal definition includes physical and mental impairments or conditions that impair a physical or mental um, process. And therefore, a lot of things that we consider pre-existing medical conditions, for example, cancer or diabetes or depression or epilepsy or multiple sclerosis or HIV, uh, all of those are considered disabilities under federal and state law. And that's where these uh, issues come in. If you have one of those con conditions and you present at a hospital, you cannot be denied or, or limited care simply because you have uh, that disability, but it has to look at the objective criteria, whether or not treating you with the COVID treatment is going to be beneficial to you. And I'll pause here, but the big picture here is that we don't want folks to make a, and even our doctors, you know, hospital folks are trained to be objective. The concern is, and it's been documented in other places that this happens, that people in, in those conditions under stress make decisions about triage and care based on a perceived valuation of life <laughs> based on, well, this person has a physical impairment and therefore my perception of their value of life is less than some who, who doesn't. And therefore, you know, I'm going to treat the person that doesn't have the disability first because I think that their life is a higher value.
or I think that they are their 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 um, uh, life experience is is better uh, than this other person who has a disability. Well, and that uh, that kind of touches on two different uh, two different aspects: the explicit and the implicit. Uh, bias that healthcare providers have. So, the explicit one would be, and you mentioned you mentioned multiple sclerosis (MS). It would not be okay for a healthcare provider to say, "Well, sure, you you're going to survive COVID, but in two years you're going to die from your MS." So you don't, you know, we think you're going to die so early, so we don't think you you get priority for treatment. Correct. Um, that would not be okay. <laughs> Great. Right, and 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 you can see that that calculation being made with any number of uh, uh, healthcare conditions, or um, you know, someone with a developmental disability, um, or someone uh, who is in a wheelchair. So those are explicit c- decisions based on your healthcare uh, condition that are not okay. And then the second one is this. Uh, a much grayer area where individuals are making quality or value judgments on the uh, on how how much they think a person's life is worth based on uh, the disability they're living with or the color of their skin that they may not even be aware that they're making. Yeah, I mean, the, just to be clear, the law may r- permit medical providers to, to ration care where the underlying disability will kill the individual in the immediate term. Like you're going to, you know, you have a disability and you're dying in the next day or two, right? That that would be an instance where you might be able to uh, triage and limit to that person. But you, your example was different, which is that you have MS, you're at risk of, you know, dying in the future. And because of that, or and also be as MS, you, my perception of your quality of life is less. And then therefore, because you have this future health threat, I'm going to deny care now. That's not okay. But you know what's interesting is like these aren't, um, you know, these are some. There, uh, there's been some interesting reporting that back in uh, March and uh, the by the New York Times looking at different states, um, you know, these different triaging rules, and they were explicitly based on disabilities in a way they're just not okay. Like I think it was Tennessee that lists people with spinal muscular atrophy. Who need assistance with daily living would be among those that would not would be would not receive critical care in the situation of scarcity. And the University of Washington Medical Center had guidelines about uh, long-term survivability uh, and weighing uh, the survival of young versus older, and that would be used based to, to, to determine triaging. Those those are examples and uh, of of limiting care uh, and targeting. Uh, on the basis of protected classes, uh, specifically disability and age, and that, that's just not okay. That's that's that is going to uh, that's in violation of the law. So, luckily, some of this got flagged early on in March um, federally by the Office of Civil Rights, and they came out with a big statements. Says, keep in mind, in March 28th, it was Office of Civil Rights said, look, keep in mind that these disability-based distinctions and civil rights laws, these are all they don't get on pa- go on pause. Uh, during the pandemic, we, you still have to keep the, uh, those civil rights protections in place and in your mind when you are making these guidelines. And so I think that's the, you know, there's a silver lining to all of this is the good news. What you don't want to do is leave people under stress and doctors and nurses who, you know, I think we all feel for who are working long hours to make these really difficult decisions, you know, under that stress. What you want to have is written guidelines in place that make it clear that the you know the provision of care is going to be based on these objective medical standards about your ability 
to be benefited by the COVID treatment and not on, based on other other you know um, unlawful distinctions. And based on uh, ultimately an individual assessment of your personal medical condition, yeah, which is correct. it's so critical. So um, so that's. That's your rights as a patient with COVID in the worst case scenario, which we, of course, all hope doesn't come. But there are definitely fears that um, a second surge is coming in the coming weeks uh, after all of the end of year holiday travel. Um, so we may see this. Uh, we wanted to really make sure that everyone knew the uh, knew the facts in that circumstance. But the other the other big category is the uh, everyone who doesn't have COVID. Um, is their healthcare is being impacted too? Um, Non-emergency surgeries are are being canceled in many yep. parts of the state. Um, L.A. County, San Joaquin Valley, um, most hospitals have canceled what are considered non-emergency surgeries. But um, you also have rights in that circumstance. Yeah, you know, the, the, it, this is a bit of a misnomer that we often kick around. You know, like we don't maybe maybe not all understand that disabilities can be. You know, sort of what we would consider common um, uh, pre-existing conditions. We also hear the term, you know, when we hear postponements of elective surgery during the pandemic, it's like, oh, well, that's okay because it's an elective surgery. Well, elective surgery only really means that it's not an emergency, like you're not being admitted to the surgery out of the emergency room. But these are still necessary surgeries. So, for example, when the hospitals have been announcing uh, a two to three month postponement of elective surgery, the kinds of surgeries that would include would be things like kidney transplants. It's elective in the sense that it's not, it doesn't happen, happen tomorrow as a result of an accident, but it's not elective in the sense that it's not medically necessary. And of course, the, the very basic reason here is you, insurance companies don't pay for unnecessary surgery. So any, any surgery that you're having is, is not truly elective, meaning you don't have to have it. It just means it may doesn't happen tomorrow. But but because of the huge you know uh, weight times in hospitals now that are uh, over and hospitals overflowing with pandemic patients, these other surgeries have to be pushed back. And the other issue is that we're, we're worried that folks with that need a kidney transplant, for example, have weakened immune systems. And geez, you don't, you know, want, the last thing you need when you need a transplant uh, is to get COVID in the hospital where there's higher infection rates. So, you know, that's those are the difficult situations that are going on now. But folks should know, obviously, that if if the if if there's a treatment or uh, maybe not uh, that that is medically necessary and it's and postponement you, uh, is going to cause medical harm, then you have a right to get that treatment now and be in the same triaging mix as the COVID patients. You know, obviously, I guess if if it's an elective surgery that you don't need right now, but you need eventually. You may want to wait two to three months, uh, you know, with advice from your doctor, because there is a real concern right now about going into the hospital uh, when it's not necessary. Right. So, uh, so no, no need to push for uh, for things that you don't think are truly urgent for your medical care. But folks should know that if a procedure that your physician believes is necessary to have now is denied. Uh, you do have a right to appeal that decision. Correct. 
Uh, so the uh, one other thing I just wanted to make sure we get out there is that um, the State Department of Public Health has issued uh, guidelines as far as visitors and support people in the hospital. And, uh, you know, just as as in all other circumstances, I mean, here in L.A. County, they're telling us don't leave your house if you don't have to, if you don't have a an essential job. Um, uh, you don't want to uh, rush into the hospital with people when it's unnecessary, but people should know that the State Department of Public Health has issued guidelines uh, uh, recommending uh, that certain categories of patients should be given the right to have a support person in the hospital if it's needed, um, and that includes uh, uh, uh uh, women in labor and delivery, uh, pediatric patients, uh, patients with developmental disabilities. Um, you know, you might not be in the hospital for COVID. You might be in the hospital for another reason um, and can't make decisions for yourself. Uh, the State Department of Public Health is recommending hospitals allow you have an advocate um, and, uh, and also uh, patients at end of life. Correct. I mean, yeah, I think what's partly, partially what these are acknowledging are, are, are two things. One, that uh, you know, impact, you know, uh, having a one-to-one a, a -one, uh, encounter with a loved one or a family member while you're in the hospital and ill is critically important for your mental well-being. And mental well-being is critically important for physical recovery. So that's acknowledging, you know, that requirement. And it's also acknowledging that, as you noted, there are certain classes of patients uh, or pediatric patients or folks that have physical intellectual uh, developmental disabilities um, that just need a support person because they can't interact. And also, I think important that end of life as well, for the same mental health reasons, uh, those folks shouldn't not, if you're, if you're at an end of life situation, that those folks shouldn't be denied visitors as well. And remember, I feel like we've done, uh, we've talked about this in a past podcast, but it, you know, it's kind of a basic uh, healthcare consumer tip 101 to say, in non-pandemic times, even stuff happens in hospitals, right? You know, where the wrong medicine is given, or you know, the, the nurse gets to come around. And we've always recommended with folks that if you're if you're going in to get a surgery, have a surgery buddy. You know, have someone lined up, a neighbor or a friend to go with you. <laughs> so ideally, now that you would still do that, that 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 is kind of a helper. Um, uh, help someone to keep an eye out too to make sure things things get get done the way they're supposed to be get done. But of course, uh, that you know, you need to balance the risks here because uh, you know, depending on how who your buddy is, uh, if they have health problems that could be you know make them susceptible susceptible to a COVID infection, then um, then you maybe don't you don't want you know you're gonna you're gonna go without. Uh, you also may be in an area that. Uh, if you don't, uh, we, if you don't have one of these four conditions for which the uh, visitors are always going to be allowed, that you know it may be that something that the hospital is recommending against. So it, it is a balancing of risk in, in for for um, all of these kinds of decisions for patients. Right. Right. And, and, and I think that um, there are only four or five counties in the entire state of California right now that aren't in the purple level uh, as far as uh, the severity of infections and illness. So the number of hospitals where visitors are allowed for everyone is probably uh, significantly limited right now. But as Jerry said, always, always a recommendation of ours that if you can have an advocate there, you should have an advocate there, someone else uh, who can help you make uh, healthcare decisions and make sure everything's 
uh, going all right. Um, so thanks, uh, thanks so much for um, coming on, Jerry. I think these are really important things for folks to know uh, as we're facing such a uh, such a, a scary time uh, with the pandemic. Well, thanks for having me on. Always good to talk to you. Absolutely. So everyone, uh, wear your mask, stay home if you can, wash your hands, stay six feet away from everyone else. Um, And thanks for joining us on the podcast. Uh, As always, if you can, become a subscriber at uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Switch, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I'm Carmen Balber, and this has been the Rage for Justice Report.